Hello, and a warm welcome to the Maven People Change Podcast. This is the place to find thoughtful and heartfelt conversations about leadership and organisation development. Each episode is created with our listeners in mind, so if you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, please do get in touch with us. Maven are thought leaders in the area of leadership and organisation development and have a wealth of experience in this area. We have a thriving community and we offer regular free events. You can find out more details via our website, maven.co.uk. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please do leave us a review on your favourite platform to help us grow our audience. Thanks so much for being here and we hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to our podcast mini-series, Why OD? As organisation development is not something most people have heard of, I certainly haven't before I joined Maven around two years ago, I'm really interested in hearing how people found themselves working in this world we call OD. In asking our six Maven consultants this very question, I found their responses really interesting and really varied. In fact, I found it brought a little bit of what makes each of them so unique and special to the fore. So these short 10 to 15 minute podcasts are a quick way to get to know the varied paths and personalities of our wonderful consultants. Hi, okay, so I am here with um, one of our principal consultants, Carolyn Norgate. Um, Carolyn, do you want to say hi and introduce a little bit about you and your role and yeah, sure. Well, um, hello. I'm Carolyn. Uh, yeah, one of the principal consultants here at Maven. I've been here about three and a half years. I consult mostly in the public sector. My background um, is 30 years public sector before I came to Maven, mostly NHS, some civil service. Um, so a lot of my practice is in that area. Um, and I'm also really um, passionate around developing the craft I guess of, of OD um, so I do a lot of work um, around our development programs there and particularly our master's program and um, look after that we just finished the first year of the first mm. program that we've run so that's been great yeah so so yeah if you could tell us I guess when you first became aware of OD as a thing and how you started getting into it and how that all kind of happened for you yeah well I suppose probably almost a third to halfway through my public sector career. Um, I think I was always looking for a job in OD and OD often sits in HR, certainly in public sector organisations. So if you looked at my CV, it might seem like quite a conventional route, but I don't think I couldn't have planned it, if that makes sense. So I started off as an HR generalist um, before they were called business partners, but I guess that's what I did. And I moved towards L&D and that's when I started to understand OD. But if I go back even further as to why I ended up in HR um, or started my career in HR, my first experience of big organisations was going to university, growing up in a relatively small town. So my high school wasn't that big and it was, for me, a positive experience. So I was sort of, I think I went to university slightly wide-eyed, assuming it's a place of learning and it'll be a positive experience <laughs> you know it's there it's there to, to to develop students and you know for the betterment of society more broadly 
And um, yeah, it was quite fascinating because some of it was brilliant and some of it I loved and some of it really quite poor. Like the quality of the teaching was poor. The experience was poor. People, not everyone seemed very happy in their jobs. Um, you know, it was a really, you know, it was my first exposure to a big, complicated and complex organisation. And my degree was in English and philosophy. So I get, so I had a joint, so I was a joint degree student. I guess I had also an experience of two different departments and two different cultures and the the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of both of those. So I was, I was kind of fascinated by, you know, how come this bit's so good and this bit's so awful? And how do you navigate it as a student, you know, working in two different departments? And what's the job that would help make organisations more consistently good and enjoyable either as a place you know as a I mean you didn't talk about students as consumers in those days but you know from the university experience for the lecturers tutors researchers but also for the students who go there and I couldn't really figure out what that job was other than HR that seemed to be the obvious one because that was about people and organizations so yeah I ended up on an HR grad scheme in the health service and discovered it wasn't exactly that <laughs> it wasn't exactly <laughs> what I thought it was sort of that um but it was a bit more policy based and mm. recruitment and employer relations so being a generalist in those days meant doing you know supporting recruitment supporting employee relations and doing a bit of development employee development um and that's how my CIPD HR qualification was split into those three areas so the development stuff I really liked and after a few years of different generalist jobs I managed to find my way into an L&D job and um, was leading learning and development um, at Guys and Thomas's so I thought oh this this is more what I want to do this seems to be more about um, making the organization helping the organization work better helping people enjoy their jobs helping people be good at their jobs fulfill their potential um, and I kind of thought Oh, right. I found it. <laughs> that, that was what I was trying to do. Um, and then after a while, it was like, well, sort of was my, I guess, my assessment of is this the job I thought it was? Because it was sort of doing that from an individual perspective. So, you know, you run a an impactful leadership program, but, you know, maybe in one year, 36 people would go on three cohorts and your organization's 8000 people is the culture really changing? I suppose I was a bit impatient around what else do you do to try and help an organisation change? And I started getting involved in a few more things that had a bit more sort of strategic impact or sort of whole system impact. We took the organisation through investors and people who self-assessed and got inspected on a range of criteria that were basically around management and good development of people. So it sat in L&D and we did it like a department at a time. So it took about three years to go around a whole, um, you know, big teaching hospital. So it was a really big cultural change for the organisation and I really enjoyed it. And I was also starting to do a bit more stuff with teams rather than leaders going on programs so leadership teams and in, intact teams and that seemed to be making a bit more difference so if you we were if we worked with the whole therapies leadership team then that was going to have an impact in OT and physio and speech therapy and da, da, da. so so it, I didn't still know what OD was <laughs> but I was kind of moving towards as a lot of people say and colleagues have said it's sort of I found it and it found me gradually probably you know 
15 years into my career and started to hear more about internal consulting as an approach, some of the stuff that was going on at Ashridge, um, reading a bit more. There was a bit of stuff. Me and Chung Judge ran a session for health service HR people on like a whole day thing on OD. And I just started looking at master's programs. Um, so I went to that and had a chat with Mian about doing a master's and was that the right thing to do? And she encouraged me, bless her. So yeah, so I did a master's in people and organization change and was looking around for jobs in OD. And there weren't many in the kind of bits of the health service I was working in. I think only mental health. My boss at the time was from the States and they'd got a slightly longer tradition of OD. It's where Mianne had originally studied. She had the L&D function, which I was running and a transformation team that was relatively new. And we'd started doing work around values and culture in the organization. And she could see that neither team had quite got the space to focus on what the organization needed to do around improving the culture. So in a very under the radar way, she created two posts, which we all called OD behind closed doors, but were called change managers. Clearly she, she had the support above her to do that, but there was no big fanfare. It was very quietly. Done. So it's probably slightly too quietly done. So, I mean, I'd been in the organization a long time and as had my colleague who started with me, and a few times we'd bump into people and they say, what are you actually doing now? <laughs> <laughs> so it, and it, and we decided not to um, overdo the word stuff around culture because it wasn't it was a bit weird at the time. And we didn't call ourselves ideas, as I said, but we had a values framework um, that we'd agreed and a behaviors framework that went with it. And it was kind of our calling card. So we quite quickly figured out that pushing it to the organization wasn't working, but we went to the areas where people were interested and there were sort of internal safe clients that they were um, a receptive context. We started working with Maven, in fact, just after Maven mm -hmm. set up. We were doing all this potential OD work. You know, I'd done my master's by this point. We'd got a lot of experience between the two and then three of us, but no one else in the organization had got any sense of what OD was. And we had quite a lot of keen managers and leaders who wanted to work with us and wanted to do stuff around culture and there was a merger going on that we were working on and we kind of thought at the moment no one in the organization is challenging us and saying is that really OD um, there was just a lot of hunger for help so we um, we looked out at what at about it must have been around well just trying to think it, we were one of Maven's first clients so yeah 2011 probably um, and we put a little spec out saying we need some OD supervision and coaching. Um, and we kind of wanted to gear shift from doing lots of work with local teams to being a bit more strategic and and being able to actually say we're doing OD and being being a bit being OK with um, mm. using the language of OD and, you know, in a way that served the organisation. So, yeah, so I sort of gradually we got to being called OD and I guess. I guess it became more palatable. For, for sad reasons, really, um, in my experience, certainly in the public sector, OD fares well in, when there's an ill wind. Um, so the Francis inquiry into the failings of Mid-Staffordshire Trust came out in 2013. And there was hundreds of recommendations in there. But the, the big theme of the report was that culture, culture had failed at Mid-Staffs. And, and if organisations didn't pay attention to culture, 
then there would be failings. And at that point, our board, you know, fair amount of our executive directors were really supported, but the um, the broader board kind of looked over its shoulder and went, ah, that's why we're doing pretty well on the culture. We've got an OD team. And the NHS as a whole set up a network around OD and started promoting OD and the language of OD became okay to use. Um, so then we became, we'd been doing it for some time, but we came badged as OD. I think the other thing was in the public sector, definitely there was a, a culture of, right, rightly so, but it's the shadow of that culture. The, the culture is the patient comes first or the citizen comes first, or, you know, wherever you are, local government, for example. The shadow of that is, therefore, we don't invest in our staff and our own culture, and that's not okay to talk about that. So I remember being in a, a closing session for a leadership conference once, um, like a leadership program that had gone on for like nine months, and so, you know, one of the directors was talking, and actually said, "Look, I know it's heresy to say we put our staff first, but if we don't put our staff first, how are we going to put our patients first? And I just remember feeling really sad. <laughs> <laughs> that they had to crack caveat at with saying, well, you know, we can't really say we need to put our staff first because obviously we put patients first. And where we got to, and I think the public sector is much better at this now, is that it's not about one or the other first. It's about if you invest in developing a good organisation and a healthy culture and in your staff, then you're whoever you're in service of, let's say patients, if it's a health service, will get a better service. And research shows that. Mm. So it's it's not a binary. It's not one or the other. It's one in service of the other. So I think things like in talking about culture and talking about OD became more palatable when some of the research was more obvious to show that that wasn't in, it was, you, you weren't doing that at the expense of patients or at the expense of, mm. um, you know, the, your, you know, beneficiaries if you're a third sector organisation or citizens. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so it was a it was a sort of long and interesting journey of doing lots of work around trying to build healthy, helping an organisation be healthy and fun and <laughs> a place where people could do their work well, especially with you, you know my sort of I grew up in a family of kind of people who worked in the public sector so that's kind of why I gravitated towards hospitals from a sort of values point of view and most people who work in that area have got a sense of vocation um, they don't go in it for the money so if you're working with someone who really wants to be a nurse or a doctor or a support the health service through working in payroll or whatever it is then why would you not want to make their work as uh, friction-free as possible why would you want to make it harder for them to do their jobs when they're showing up every day and doing amazing work um so yeah so kind of gradually figured out what that job was over time <laughs> <laughs> and then at the point I guess I was thinking of gosh I've been in the health service for a very long time and I've got a really great OD job and I work in an organization where there's always some interesting work going on but you know am I really being stretched I guess was the question I was asking myself so I was sort of looking a little you know gently looking over the parapet to see what was around and noticing that there weren't that many jobs that on paper looked as good as the one I got <laughs> and maybe we're already working in the civil service doing an OD development program and uh, mentioned to me that there was a vacancy in the team that looked after that program and did 
cross government consulting. So I applied for that and not realizing that it was the early days of that level of job, even having an external ad, senior civil servants were only advertised internally up until about 2015, 2014, I think. Is that so, yeah. that's told you about the job? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite nice. So I still got to, got to work with Maven because they were providing the program and and I'd got to consult across a whole range of government departments. So big delivery departments, small agencies, bits of the military, you know, just very different operating models, to, you know, a sort of a broad civil service culture, but very different microcultures, which was incredibly different to the NHS, which has probably got, you know, four or five main operating models. We, you know, they get replicated all around the country. And yeah, so I guess after four years or so in the civil service, I had the opportunity to come here on a secondment. So the thought of coming to Maven was a chance to work more in the third sector, which I had some exposure to when I was in health, but not loads. And go back to working in the NHS as well and continue longer term work with the civil service. So it just kind of broadened scope and to do more on the development side, which was always the tricky thing to do as an internal. So, yeah, it was a great fit. And yeah. and I suppose linked back to all the stuff that I was originally motivated by when I was an undergraduate thinking, why is this organisation both brilliant and frustrating? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's probably a lot of conversations I have with clients around there's some stuff we're brilliant at and there's some stuff that's really frustrating and means we're not performing. And how can we, you know, what are the conditions that are going to make the things work better around here? And how do we lead in a different way or or how do we just shift gear slightly with this change happening whatever it is and not stop all that brilliant stuff happening mm. um, so all that stuff is what still motivates me and why I do it yeah nice mm. okay probably enough isn't it yeah perfect good. yeah really good it's been a lovely yeah. series though it's a really good idea all right love to see you yeah thanks Carolyn appreciate that Pleasure. thank you bye Thank you so much for listening to us today and we hope to see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.